Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It's 830 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. Economic indicators are coming out this morning now, fast and furious. Vinita Del Judice is at the first word desk, and we have an upward revision to that awful first quarter GDP. Michael, yes. Economic growth first quarter up 1.1% at an annual rate, a bit higher than forecast, a bit higher than the prior estimate, still the lowest since the first quarter of 2015. Where do we go now? Economists surveyed by Bloomberg looking for the current quarter, the second quarter growth of 2.5%, third quarter and fourth quarter 2.4%. Again, just crossing to Bloomberg, revised data, first quarter GDP, an increase of 1.1%, higher than the prior estimate, still the weakest in a year. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Dell Judice. Let's go back to New York. And, and Michael, go through consumption here, which shocks lower I mean, it's an interesting mix change, even though we went from 1 to uh, 1.1. Yeah, uh, well, the interesting uh, headline number is that it's more than double the initial um, uh, the, the initial report of uh, GDP in the quarter. So it does raise some questions about yeah. what we're seeing. Corporate profits were revised up to a 1.8% gain from a three-tenths rise. There's been, of course, this story that corporate profits are in a tailspin and we're, we're in a profit recession. And uh, that doesn't suggest that necessarily we are. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to first quarter consumer spending. Obviously, you must have taken the uh, credit card away from the, no, the, the offspring. I did. I did. I, I, um, that's the sainted one. Yeah, we did that. We, we, we did that. <laughs> it's like, uh, but I made it up with Red O, keeper of the Amex, uh, is is well. But I, I think what's the mixed change here speaks so much, Mike, to what we hear from our guests, the back and forth of yeah. this American debate. Well, everything uh, just uh, everything in the consumption side, the personal consumption side, a tad weaker. Good spending down uh, was it a tenth of a percent instead of four tenths. Uh, services two point one instead of two point six. Not huge drops, but enough to push it lower. Let's uh, get a uh, sort of expert look at uh, what this may mean for the economy going forward. Bill Lee is uh, North, uh, head of economics for North America for Citigroup. And, uh, uh, Bill, this is uh, good news in the sense that the number is uh, higher than initially reported, profits better than forecast. But we do have a question about uh, consumption, although it's an old number now. You're absolutely right, Mike. Uh, and the question we have is, will consumers still be the main engine of growth that keeps the economy going? And I, I, I think the, the, two, the, the fact that we have an upward revision GDP kind of confirms the view that in the first quarter, the labor market was doing quite well, income was being produced. And so I think the, the, the GDP numbers we were getting were, were underestimates, as, as they often are. Uh, and, and I think going forward, the big question is going to be the, the, the decline in investment that we've seen in the last two quarters. That's become serious. And it's something Janet Yellen has highlighted as one of the sources of productivity slowdown, right? Because uh, you know, in the last 
last five years, we had barely half a percent productivity growth, and, and we're hoping that investment would kick in enough and broaden the base of this expansion so that we can have better productivity, hopes of better productivity going forward. It doesn't look that way. Um, so so the, the main concerns about the imbalances going forward, I think, is also one of the questions that's holding back the Fed. Um, you know, how, how much can we trust the consumer to carry the load? And with all this uncertainty that's floating around with all the global events and, and, and also uncertainties here, will the consumer start to haul back and say, look, I need some more savings. So I need to bolster my balance sheet. I need to pay down debt. So so these are big questions that, that are being asked. And I think um, we're going to have to see how the employment number comes out the next uh, uh, in the next couple of weeks. What do you think uh, uh, will is happening with employment? Because uh, well, it's what a week and a few days away. Um, are we going to dismiss what happened in the May payrolls report? I so hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you probably aren't alone in that. Exactly. I mean, if, if there, if we get another a hit of the sort we had, like, you know, a 50 or a 30, um, um, I think there's going to be some serious head scratching about what's going on. Um, the, the, um, the, we're, we're counting on a slightly better number. Um, in fact, we, we think it'll be about a hundred, uh, not really as robust. Um, and based on, on little, you know, short-term forecast model that we have, we think kind of the hundred number is below consensus and, and, and we're sort of circling around that number right now. Uh, and, and that raises the question in my mind. Uh, has has the labor market somehow started to to, to fail us? Um, we're reaching full employment. We should not be seeing 200 numbers, so everyone acknowledges that. But we should be somewhere in the 100 150 range. Um, and if we don't fall in that range, I think the the, the question is going to be: Have firms truly stopped hiring because they can't find the qualified worker? The job mismatch issue is really severe. Everyone points to job openings and say, "Oh my God, so many job openings historically yeah. high." But when you look at the ratio <clears throat> of hiring to job openings, it's the lowest ever, ever. And, and, and the history of the two, you know, time series going all the way back to 2000. And that means that firms are not willing well, to pull the trigger because they can't find it by qualified person. Very quickly here, Bill Lee. I, I'm looking at first quarter nominal GDP annualized is 1.4%. That's the same as the gloomy first quarter of a year ago, which was just under 1%. And then we had a boom second quarter rebound. Is this just the new new for your statistical racket that you have a lousy first quarter and you make it all back in the the next number we're, of we're, weeks? Our forecast is definitely counting on that. Uh, we're, we we penciled in above two and a, uh, two two and a quarter for quite a while now, and and the 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 the, the gnomes of the GDP now world are saying two and a half three percent, right? So yeah. so the rebound is there, but I think that's a false uh, false positive in the sense that. Going forward, we think it'll bounce right back to the two percent kind of uh, growth. Can can I just say, Michael McKee, and thank you, Billy, for coming on, and please stay with us. Mike, is it a joy not to talk about Brexit for four minutes? What? What? What We say this. We say this with great respect for Anna Edwards, Francie Lacroix, and John Farrow, and the rest of our team uh, in uh, London. Of course, we're continuing to follow uh, the political and economic history of the United Kingdom, and we'll do that through the day. But it's great to talk to Bill Lee about the American economy futures up twenty three. Now it's time to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Technology and entrepreneurship are on Hillary Clinton's agenda today. The presumptive Democratic presidential nominee will speak at a small business incubator in Denver in hopes of wooing young voters. She'll propose allowing entrepreneurs to defer student loan payments and connecting every household in America to high-speed Internet by 2020. 
Meanwhile, the final Benghazi report from the Republican-led panel says the former Secretary of State should have realized the dangers to the diplomatic compound in Libya before the 2012 attack. Republican Donald Trump will outline his trade policies today, underscoring the stark differences with Hillary Clinton. He sees the middle class crushed by trade deals, globalization, and jobs going overseas. British Prime Minister David Cameron has arrived in Brussels to formally announce to the European Union the U.K. is leaving the nation bloc. I'll be explaining that Britain will be leaving the European Union, but I want that process to be as constructive as possible, and I hope the outcome can be as constructive as possible. Other EU lawmakers say the process to leave the EU should take place quickly to calm markets and reassure the rest of Europe. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Mike Tom. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with Rob Bushka. Rob. Good morning, Mike. In college basketball news, Tennessee's, Tennessee's legendary women's coach, Pat Summit, has lost her long-term battle with dementia and Alzheimer's. She has passed away at the age of 64. Even Mother Nature couldn't help the Yankees, who blew a ninth-inning lead to the Rangers at the stadium in a 9-6 loss in the opening game of the series. Kirby Yates suffered the loss. Mark Teixeira went 3-for-5. Yankees are now below 500, eight games back of the Orioles. Lefty CC Sabathia and Cole Hamels meet tonight at 7:05. Mets got an Likely outing from Noah Syndergaard. He was hammered for five runs, just three innings of work, and an 11-4 loss at Washington. Lucas G. Little to make his big league debut for the Nats tonight against Matt Harvey. As the Dream Team hones in on Rio, Knicks fans hope they can land Kevin Durant in the free agent market, the top name on both the roster and the open market on his decision to play. Uh, simple, I just wanted to. You know, It's no bigger answer than that. I just wanted to play ball. I was looking forward to his opportunity to kind of get in the game mode a little earlier than I would normally do it throughout the summer and uh you know so playing against the best players in the world and with my peers and i'm looking forward to learning a lot durant is scheduled to meet with six teams who want his services and news just in out of the nfl some more sad news former nfl defensive guru and head coach of the philadelphia eagles and cardinals buddy ryan has just passed away at the age of 82 of course he's a father of former jets coach and now buffalo bills coach Rex Ryan. Across the pond at Wimbledon, Americans Madison Keys and Venus Williams were straight set winners. And the world's number one, Novak Djokovic, was as well. Serena Williams just underway there at center court. That's your NBC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike and Tom. Uh, thanks so much. Greatly appreciate it. Mike, you are the football guru. I don't believe Mr. Ryan worked with the Denver uh, Broncos, but he is the 4-6. Four, four down linemen and six people behind the linemen at the line of scrimmage. Six linebackers. How did he change football? That was one of the main ways to do it, and you add a lot of speed in that backfield, and uh, yeah. you overwhelm the, the team. And uh, he led the uh, '84 Bears defense to the Super Bowl. Mr. Ryan, changing football from New York, Bloomberg surveillance. Coming up, J.P. Morgan reassesses the state of the U.S. economy and its Fed outlook in the wake of Brexit. We'll talk with. Chief U.S. Economist Michael Faroli here on Surveillance. This continues. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sage Summit, the world's largest gathering of small and medium businesses, featuring Sir Richard Branson, July 25th to 28th in Chicago. Register with promo code business at sagesummit.com for just $99. 
The world's largest economy expanding more than previously projected in the first quarter as improved performance in trade and business investment more than made up for weaker consumer spending. Gross domestic product, the value of all goods and services produced, rose at a 1.1 percent annualized rate compared with a previously estimated gain of 8 tenths percent. Corporate profits at the start of the year were also revised up, giving a brighter picture to gross domestic income. Stocks, the pound commodities all gaining for the first time since Britain's vote to leave the EU amid speculation policymakers will take steps to limit any economic fallout. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 27 points. Dow E-mini futures up 231. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 56. The DAX in Germany is up 3% now. FTSE 100 also up 3%. And the CAC in Paris up 3.3%. Ten-year Treasury down 830 seconds. The yield 1.46%. Yield on the two-year 0.61%. NYMEX crude oil up 3.1 percent, up a dollar 43 at 47.76 a barrel. COMEX gold down six tenths percent, or eight dollars fifty cents to 13.16.20 an ounce. The euro a dollar 10.82. The British pound a dollar 34.16. The yen 102.43. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. It is 8:48 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Clive Crook, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Europe's leaders are working out their response to Britain's vote to leave the Union. What should they do? They should look again at freedom of movement for workers within the EU's borders. Seen as a core principle of European integration, this idea has inflamed anti-immigrant sentiment and hostility to the EU in many countries, not just Britain. If this commitment was softened, liberal rules for internal migration would still be possible. The idea that upsets many moderate voters, pushing them into alliance with hardline anti-immigrants, is that they no longer have any say in the matter. Policy on migration can and should be liberal, but it needs to be brought back into democratic politics. If this had been done before, Brexit might never have happened. It's probably too late to change that. But it isn't too late to weaken the far-right populism that's getting a grip in other countries. Sometimes if you don't bend, you break. Brexit is the proof. Europe's leaders need to wake up to this before the damage gets worse. I'm Clive Krug, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more comment and analysis, please go to Bloomberg.com slash view. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays. On Bloomberg Radio, a spirited conversation with William Lee of Citigroup uh, looking at the American economy more. We're trying to get a bit away from Brexit here. We'll get back to it through the hours. Billy, can public policy jumpstart investment, low productivity, low confidence? Maybe there's a challenge to invest. You've been very articulate on this. Do we need a public policy to invest or is it already there? Well, Tom, you've been asking that question of all your guests, and let me answer. I think that's still a hope and a prayer, and I think the public policy hopes are there that we want to do something, but God help us if we get more cash for clunker and, and, and shovel-ready projects that, that don't go anywhere. Uh, so I don't have a lot of optimism that the, the public policy is in gear right now or can get in gear in the near future to be able to get us the kind of policies we need to really get us real productivity growth and real investment growth. I think this, the fits and starts are even more harmful than uh, – than they would be otherwise. So, so I'm sorry to have such a depressing tone to this uh, this question. But, but um, looking forward, I I think the real restructuring that we need, both here and around the world, in terms of making labor markets more efficient, making infrastructure projects uh, more viable, um, is something that, that we have yet to see. 
Well, uh, is there any hope for lifting growth without some sort of uh, Keynesian aspect to it? Yeah, in fact, I think that's critical that we stay away from Keynesian short-term solutions. I think the, the, the key is to get the, 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 the corporate sector to start asking themselves, where are the good investment opportunities? Where's my compared advantage? And what can I make use of right now that, that, that I haven't made use of yet? And, and that means innovation, and that means the kind of startups that we, we're seeing, and that means domestically oriented industries. Um, um, because I think with all of the pressure from the exchange rate so far that we've seen, uh, going and, and the gloomy prospects in the rest of the world as far as growth opportunities are concerned, U.S. domestic non-traded goods, sec- goods and, and, and services sectors are probably mm-hmm. the best place to start looking. I've been asking different people. You're in good company, William Lee. I asked this of Mervyn King today. Let's see if you can do better than Governor King. Uh, Governor Lee, the current account deficit, now this is a United Kingdom exercise, but what you need to know, folks, is three parts, goods, services, and investment flows. William Lee owns a huge condo in Kensington. He gets an income from that. Bill Lee, help us here with a bad current account deficit that everyone suggests will get dramatically worse, and then the currency adjustment that goes with this. Does uh, the next chancellor of the Exchequer need to be worried about this? He certainly does. I think the the thing in the UK that uh, I speak as a non-expert, uh, but from uh, my colleagues, uh, the one thing that I learned was that the the comparative advantage of the UK has been an export of services. Uh, they are losing their comparative advantage in the high tech kind of engineering type industries, uh, and and so what they're hoping for is massive capital inflows now to be able to revive again for them too the non-traded and services sector. And 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 I think the best thing they can hope for then is to find some way of promoting that, incentivizing that, which means restructuring the regulations and restructuring the legal restrictions that have prevented it so far. What's the likelihood? <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that's your answer. I, I think, um, I, you know, as I said, uh, a lot of these things are hope and prayer, and, and right now I, I, I'm praying harder than I'm hoping. Yeah, but, but the, the, the dynamic here of the uh, folks, to be serious here, there's some serious Newtonian mechanics going down here. In the waiting of the reaction function, Bill Lee, I'm sorry, currency is front and center, isn't it? Yep. I mean, that's yep. the solution you and I read in the history books, right? But, you know, you can't depreciate yourself to wealth, right? That's the one lesson we learned from Adam Smith, right? The wealth of nations depends upon making use of the comparative advantage that you have. And there is something called dynamic comparative advantage, as you know, Tom, which means that if you, if you save uh, and reallocate resources to different sectors, you can change your comparative advantage. But that takes time. And you cannot have a quick fix of depreciating your currency and hoping that you're going to get some wealth out of it. And, and I think that's been the failure, certainly, of, of global monetary policy in the last couple of years. You can only move around growth when you depreciate. It means you're stealing it from somebody who's appreciated against you, and that, that doesn't work. Well, uh, then the question is, uh, the question that comes to my mind is, I, somebody wrote a book a few years ago called Flying on One Engine. Can the global economy... Do you know, can, do you know that Alec Tanzi, I think he has the only remaining copy... <laughs> Of this tome in Washington. That actually holds a publishing <clears throat> record for the speed with which it went into the bargain. You bin. found that you found that in a remainder bin out just past the helix, right, John Tucker? Oh uh, well, let's get back to uh, Billy. <laughs> whether you're not, you read Tom's book. Can the U.S. economy expand enough to carry the rest of the world while everybody figures all this out? 
Well, I think the, the policies certainly for the rest of the world are predicated on that because they're trying to depreciate the currency and where they're going to take it from, the U.S. dollar that's appreciating. But but I think as we going back to, to the GDP numbers that we just saw, right, we saw the consumer savings rates have popped up, and that means the consumer is getting more cautious. The slight uh, upward revision to exports, that's nonsense because we've got a huge drag from net exports because of the exchange rate. So I'm anticipating that drag is going to go back to about a half percentage point going forward. So so I, I really do have my doubts that the U.S. will be the global engine of growth. That means that every country has got to turn toward increasing domestic demand, and that's where the policy focus has is, is, is got to be. That, uh, again, gets back to that uh, laughing question and uh, I asked you. Uh, what's it going to take? The, the, the question I put to Alan Greenspan. Everybody knows what you're saying is correct, but nobody does anything about it. So what happens? Well, I think we're starting to see some of the reaction, which is that the people are getting so fed up. They're saying, okay, you, the political class that's in there now, you can't do it. Let's change it and get somebody who can. And that's where the danger is, because that's when you start making political and social and legal institutions unstable. And, and, and God help us if that starts happening in the advanced economies, because then all of the incentives for investment and all the incentives that we have for the long-term structural kind of reforms that we need, that starts to dissipate. And, and I think that's where my, where my focus is of worry is in the developments of the last, uh, last couple of weeks. Bill Lee, thank you so much, William Lee, with Citigroup, as we uh, do what we do, which is give you a terrific set of conversations. Uh, today, William Lee working with Mr. Bowder over at Citigroup. Uh, coming up, uh, us another set of uh, worthies as well. Justin Wolfers will be with us at the University of Michigan. He is truly one of the bright young lights of academic economics. We're thrilled to have him on today. Uh, Mervyn King joining us earlier as Alan Greets and uh, yesterday. It was great to talk to Marvin, good friend. Yeah. Uh, Michael McKee with his strong statement on regulation in a, a more, not an over-regulated, but a relatively Overregulated uh, Europe. Now he's taking well. a not admati viewpoint that you need more capital in the banks. Uh, How can you do a cash call here? Help me. <laughs> I mean that Deutsche Bank has a bid today. Unicredit has a bid today. All on our Bloomberg data screen has a bid today. But I don't know. I don't know how you line up a cash call. Well, the question is, what, right now. what, what kind of? How long will the bids last? I advise yeah. everyone to go look at the stock trading chart yeah. after Lehman's bankruptcy. Yeah. Two days later, we were higher. And then, and then, uh, maybe they need to call Warren Buffett. He could solve it. Get a preferred coupon off of a European bank. We have another hour from New York of Bloomberg surveillance. <laughs> 